we're picking back up. Uh, sorry about that. My oldest daughter was knocking on the door to the office and interrupted. And then for some reason, when I dropped my headset, I was no longer able, it affected my microphone somehow. So anyway, the technical difficulties aside, we are back. And Pavel, you got me, dude? I got you. All right, man, let's continue. Let us <laughs> proceed. Uh, so yeah, when we're thinking about stacking and we're trying to you know, think about it from a game theory sense and gaining a little bit of leverage on the field, one of my, or I, I guess before talking about my personal techniques, what we're looking to try and do is stray away from the most common, the most often utilized stacking methods. And what we see is people are forcing the quarterback with a wide receiver pairing from a team. Um, you know, you thinking about the the Rams or the Vikings um, are two of the, the top ones that come to mind. We're bound to see um, the Titans up there uh, as as Julio, you know, gets a little bit further into camp and we start seeing guaranteed positive reports coming out of camp. Um, but people forcing the quarterback with the stack or with your, a wider wide receiver correlation pairing uh, is one of the biggest mistakes I think I see um, amongst drafters. Um, quick example from that. Uh, last season, the highest scoring stack uh, of a quarterback and two wide receivers from a team was the Vikings with Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, and Justin Jefferson. Together, the pair of Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson provided 11 wide receiver one weeks. That said, there were only two weeks where both scored as wide receiver twos or better. So it was one or the other hit or miss. Also, Kirk Cousins returned eight quarterback one weeks. So we have a three week disparity between uh, overall quarterback or wide receiver one production. When you compare other quarterbacks in the range to Kirk Cousins, you know, you're talking about Tom Brady, you're talking about uh, Matt Stafford last year, you know, this probably tier three, four borderline quarterbacks. There were others in that tier that score more than eight quarterback one weeks. So you're actually just sacrificing points uh, by forcing that stack. That's kind of one big mistake I see. Another way to generate leverage on the field, uh, actually one of my favorite ways, um, is to pair wide receiver twos and threes from a team together, either with or without their quarterback, or taking that one step further and pairing a wide receiver three and wide receiver four from a team. And what that typically does is you're not looking, you're not approaching stacking from a traditional sense where you're looking to capture the overall, you know, over the course of an entire season, wide receiver one and wide receiver two from a team. You're looking to generate individual outlier performances from those wide receiver three and wide receiver four pairing that provide you with usable wide receiver one or wide receiver two weeks. And that's something that I think a lot of people are not looking to do. They don't even think about it. Um, so generating a high level of leverage there. What do you think about those two ideas? Yeah. So hundred percent, like it's okay to draft, you know, two top wide receivers and not to get the quarterback. For me, I draft so many lineups that I just want it to fall to me, you know? I don't want to reach for it because then I'm giving up value. And there's other players that are, you know, especially early, especially on underdog, you want to kind of get those like mid-range wide receivers because they're going to be gone very quickly. 
Um, you mentioned, you know, the Rams. Another one I really like to do is like the Steelers. You can get Deontay Claypool, Juju, pretty nice. Um, and you can capitalize on that that way. Um, a really, really good point you made was, though, and this is one of my favorite strategies, is correlating those wide receiver three fours. Like the Patriots is a great example. Mm-hmm. You, you're getting a wide receiver one in like the 10th, 11th round in Aguilar. Then a couple rounds later, you can get Myers and you can get Kendrick Bourne later. They're going to have spike weeks, especially if like Beck Jones maybe takes over. <laughs> there's an opportunity for that offense to, you know, be a decent offense. The Jets, yeah. there's so much uncertainty. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Continue. Sorry. No, the Jets, like, no, yeah. The Jets have a lot of uncertainty around them, right? So that's like another team. We know Mims isn't really the best, but, you know, Keelan Cole, really late pick. Crowder still oh, perpetually always is a late pick who performs. Then you have Elijah Moore, you have um, Corey Davis, and you can, you know, take all these, like, you know, two or three of these guys late, and you're going to get a bunch of wide receiver one, two weeks. Uh, maybe not one weeks, but a bunch of wide receiver two weeks, which is super usable, especially when you're drafting a lot of them late. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Keelan Cole. I think he had four wide receiver one weeks last year just yeah. by himself. And if you look at the other members of the Jaguars when he was on the Jags, like, that was that returned solid, solid value. Um, I, that's a perfect lead into another team I wanted to mention with stacking these, you know, kind of bad offense, uh, or I guess not even stacking, just correlating these wide receivers from bad offenses is the Jaguars, um, looking at, at their wide receiver depth chart and comparing that to their ADP, you can get these guys in the double digit rounds and get two out of the three and, um, look to return. I'd be looking for four to six wide receiver, two weeks. Anything more than that is just absolute value. Yeah, my favorite one, and recently someone on Twitter was like, I don't like that. I'm like, why? <laughs> is Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton. Uh, 14th to 18th round for, you know, is the spread for them too. Um, and you're going to get at least three, four, five, like, boom weeks. Slayton's going to get you like two or three, almost 30 point weeks. And Shepard's a baller as long as he stays healthy. But in the 14th round, if he plays half the games, you're going to get a bunch of starts out of him that late. It's so usable. Yeah, and that's that brings up a great point too. When you're thinking about stacks, when you're thinking about these correlation pairings, you're not looking. Sorry, my daughter walked in again. Uh, hey, sweetie, you need to go get in bed, baby. I'll be there in a minute. Okay. When you're when you're stacking these, you know, either poor offenses overall or you know wide receiver threes and fours um, from a high powered offense, you're not looking for a production over the course of an entire season you're looking for four to six spike week games where you're getting combined wide receiver one or wide receiver two production so breaking breaking that mold from a a redraft season-long managed mindset or even um you know like a a dfs mindset it's it's a whole different format and you have to think of ways to think outside the box to piece together a lineup with the most upside um, and that's that's just a, a way that I've found uh, is a way to do it that a not a lot of the field is looking to utilize. Yeah, and like we'll, when we get into the roster construction, you know, pod that one's gonna really will really be able to like shed more light and how to really action on this because you know the way you build your team is also like the way you can really build these stacks as well. Like for me, my personal strategy is usually I want to be done with running back by the time Madison's done. I want my four or five running backs by like round 12, 13. So then at the end, I'm, you know, taking all these wide receivers. First, I'm going to look at what wide receivers and quarterbacks do I have on my team already, right? So I can already formulate a plan towards the end of the, 
towards the end of the draft because every team is you know wide receiver sometimes two three four are going to be available and you know i create a plan to do that and if i don't have any you know good plans or options i can always you know take two guys late and you know just build up like you know and get that hopefully wide receiver to um production from two guys you know late yeah yeah exactly i think when uh when we're talking about late upside, um, majority of the field is simply looking at it from a sense of looking to hit that one home run. Um, and then we see late round over exposure, which is another discussion, or I guess a discussion for another day that we can have uh, late round exposures being overexposed to particular guys. Um, again, that's just going to increase your variance, but uh, I guess that's a discussion for another day. But yeah, I, I, what a lot of people are not looking to do is see how they can piece together a roster as opposed to looking for those, you know, multiple home run picks on a single yeah. roster. You have to look at it, you know, from a whole roster perspective, you know, you when you're building your roster, you want to think of it, you know, where am I weaker, where am I stronger, where do I need to like raise up my floor a little bit, you know, and I really want to go back to real quick. You know, the point you made of, you know, correlating your top wide receivers without the quarterback. Like, I think that is a really good strategy that kind of separates you two. Because everyone is, you know, drafting like Justin Jefferson with Thielen, right? Yeah. They're, gonna, and- they're forcing cousins in. But this way, you know, you can diversify your teams away from them a little bit. Yeah. And even, even you know, expanding on that discussion a little bit more, um, you know, Thielen and Justin Jefferson had such high win rates last year because of where they're being drafted. And this year, both of them are easily in the top four, top five rounds, right? So you're fighting opportunity cost, uh, which is primarily a losing battle uh, year after year if you're looking for long-term profitability and sustained profitability. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to find, I hate, I hate when people say, who's this year's Justin Jefferson? Like, that's not a thing. Like that was such an outlier. It's performance. such an outlier. It's, it's, such, it's such an outlier performance. So we're not looking to we're not looking to the past to predict the future. We are looking to the past to learn from the past and see how we can best approach the future in fantasy sports. So taking that example one step further, the opportunity cost of Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, two top four or five round picks, depending on where you're playing and what format. Um, now you're you're taking on additional risk that you don't need to be taking by by pairing those two you know ken that is the penultimate example from last year where they you know they returned 11 wide receiver one weeks but trying to assume you know and fighting through variance and assuming that that will maintain steady moving forward is is a fool's errand it's just not it's not possible with the amount of variance that is in the real life that is in the NFL, that is in a game that involves humans, you know, imperfect humans playing a sport. There's just so much variance with injuries and coaching changes and all kinds of different things that can, you know, that you have to take into account and think about because the quite honestly, majority of the field is not thinking about these things. So high edge to be gained there by thinking about these higher level thoughts uh, before, during, and after drafts. Yeah. And one thing like, you know, I kind of pivot away from the feeling Jefferson stack because like personally I can take Claypool Deontay fifth to seventh round or like Juju who's like fallen every wide receiver has gone up and Juju's fallen right so I can take mm-hmm. two out of those three and I'm gonna get that same type of wide receiver one production but a few rounds later like you exactly. want to identify those types of upsides and historically like the fifth through seventh round wide receivers have the highest breakout rate like last year Stefan Diggs 
was a sixth rounder. I think Ridley was like a third, fourth rounder-ish. But like, yeah, there's always one or two guys that are going to come out of this mid-tier here. And I think Deontay could be that guy. Yeah, and something something I talked about uh, in the article that is going to be released in conjunction with this podcast is comparing like the where you're taking wide receivers with um, looking at it from the lens of a stack and looking at it from the lens of trying to capture the highest upside. The example I use in the article, again, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, compared to Devontae Adams and Calvin Ridley, who, you know, Devontae Adams, borderline round one, round two pick, Calvin Ridley, borderline round two, round three pick. Those players combined uh, provided, uh, let's see, seven wide receiver one weeks where they both provided wide receiver one outputs and together they combined for 12 wide receiver one weeks four top overall wide receiver scores on that week and um if you paired those guys and then filled out you you don't even have to think about your wide receiver three position until the you know 12th plus round and if you utilized some of the techniques that we've been talking about here with you know looking to poor offenses and and pairing you know, wide receiver four, threes and fours from good offenses, you know, now you're piecing together high upside from your wide receiver one, wide receiver two, you're still getting that same, um, you know, dependability in that same floor, but now you're getting upside from your wide receiver three position by that, those late pairings. You know, we talked about a couple of the examples, the Jets with Jameson Crowder, um, where he scored four wide receiver one weeks by himself you pair him with Braxton Berrios late and with your last pick, now you're getting eight overall wide receiver two plus weeks, which is half of the season. Yeah. You're getting these guys, you're getting these guys in the double digit round. So um, definitely different ways, different methodologies, different ways to approach building a roster to capture as much upside as possible without simply, you know, leaving it in the hands of variants and searching for these home run picks. Yeah, and I think in when I'm building my rosters, right, you're thinking about upside and floor, too. And, like, here's one way I like to think about it, too. Let's say, like, I take Kelly Galladay, right? And then, obviously, later I'm going to target that Shepard and Slate. I want to get all of them, right? And you're kind of, like, almost hedging yourself, too, because if Galladay has a bad week, most likely Slate nor Shepard has had a good week, right? So it's not like you're really capping yourself because... You know, you're getting exposure to both. And what if Daniel Jones has, like, a, you know, a couple of years ago when I remember Daniel Jones came out and he played against the Bucks and he had, like, 36 fantasy points and Shepard had a beast game and Engram had a beast game. Like, there's opportunities, you know, for the, everyone to, you know, get a start. You know, two or three of you guys to make your lineup that week. Yeah, yeah, dig it. So what are, do you have any other tips, tricks, techniques of how you're looking to manage and leverage variants when you're filling out a best ball roster? Man, I just don't want to reach. Like, that's my biggest thing is I don't want to reach. I want everything to come to me organically, you know? Uh, what do you think about this uh, recent craze, zero running back, modified zero running back, robust wide receiver, all these kind of niche drafting techniques and things that we're seeing around the industry? Um... Are you there, Helen? Yeah, you got me? Yeah. I, um, so, <laughs> this recent craze. So, first of all, 
I don't zero running back does not win in basketball. It just doesn't win. Like <laughs> thank you. The reason zero running back is good is because you can stack up on all these teams and then you hit the waiver wire for that James Robinson for yeah. whoever, you know, it doesn't matter who it is because you can literally piece it together and in basketball you're literally building your roster. And if you're taking like these zeros at running back, you're just going to lose cuz you're you're going to be behind. So, anchor running back I like because Anchor running back is a really good strategy. You know, you take that Camara, and then I like to, you know, just take those middle round running backs if they fall. Like if Sermon falls, a couple of ADP spots and falls to me, I take them. But then I love to pound that Connor to Madison tier. So like Connor, Kenyon Drake, AJ Dillon, David Johnson, even Jamal Williams, Latavius Murray. Like I love getting like three or four of those guys because those guys all have upside, you know, to, you know, really take over. And they still have a you know week to week floor. You know they're they're going to give you usable weeks. I I've, have about like seventeen percent Daryl Henderson in the best ball mania. I just finished it, and you know I'm loving it because that is literally best case scenario what happened to me. I'm drafting this guy as my wide running back two and three. Now that Akers hurt, I've just skyrocketed. You know, yeah. Um, and on this wide receiver craze, it's it's been crazy because certain drafts you're gonna you know, fall behind because you can't get all these elite guys, but you're going to build your team better. You know, you can have stronger running backs, really strong tight ends. You can, you should never have bad quarterbacks ever. And then this is where, you know, that stacking strategy we're building. Like if you fall behind and you can't get, you know, all these great wide receivers, stack them up. So I had a recent draft that I did in a a live draft with, uh, it was one of those live stream drafts and, you know, wide receivers were gone instantly. And what I did was, you know, I took the, I was able to take Deontay. I grabbed, I think it was Juju with him. So I already have that, you know, Steelers there. I grabbed the Ebron later. So I have that Steelers stack there. And then I paired up Aguilar with Jacoby Myers. So I'm getting wide receiver project to projection, hopefully there most week, almost, you know, half the weeks or, you know, whatever it would be. Let's say six to eight weeks. If I can get a start, I'd be thrilled. And then I have Shepard and Slayton. So I got that pairing and then I added Bourne there. So, you know, you can come, you know, you're capturing, you know, the variance of a team. You're going to get the upside of all that team in, in two players. And it's a really good way to, you know, gain leverage on the field because most teams player like from what I'm seeing is casual players don't want to do that and they're not seeing that taking two two late players to you know gain higher production is useful and most of the time your late round picks aren't going to do very much anyway so you might as well try to build upside from those picks yeah yeah 100% and that's just something that the you know your casual player or even like higher level players who are just bad at the format don't understand that you, you can piece together multiple pieces of a, of a team to create one roster spot yeah i don't need to start my draft with seven run wide receivers that only two of you know only four of them can realistically start for me each week yeah yeah exactly they really miss you yeah my daughter's sick and she <laughs> needs medicine so we'll wrap it up here shortly because we're coming up on 45 minutes but uh yeah one thing uh one parting shot before we go with respect to stacking anything that comes to mind go don't reach that's it like literally don't reach and don't be upset if you don't get the quarterback you know that's not bad to have a stack on your team without a quarterback like i drafted a team today someone sniped me on tom brady and i have evans godwin and antonio brown and i'm still happy because i'm gonna get those spike weeks from those guys 
you know, and I'm not going to reach, like I said, I don't reach for the quarterbacks. Maybe if it's like a little later, like if we're in the, like the middle rounds later, like if I put up uh, like a Will Fuller, Jalen Waddle, I, something I've, I'd like to do lately. And even Devontae Parker, his price fell because he was on the pup. But, you know, we all know Devontae Parker is always nicked up, but he always give you good weeks. And I'll reach for two. Well, you know, if, if I'm like on the turn and I have to, like, you know, go up about eight spots, that's fine. Like later you can do that, but you don't want to give up early draft capital to take a step because early on is when your most impactful players you're drafting are yeah I love it man my parting shot is gonna be as soon as you see a craze takeover or you see a crowd think mentality you should be searching and analyzing every reason why it is wrong if that makes sense like I, I'm poking holes in everything I see on Twitter, on you know other content sites. I'm, I'm poking holes and trying to find, figure out why that is wrong. And if I find something, I'm looking to capitalize on it. And if I don't find something, I'm looking ways to leverage it. So a different mentality to blindly following what you're, what you're seeing from content providers, what you're seeing from touts, what you're seeing from random dudes on Twitter. I would, I would urge everyone to always be questioning what information they're taking in and formulate their own conclusions and attack it accordingly. That's a great point. And honestly, you should always be questioning yourself. You know, when you're done doing a draft, you should critique yourself. And if you have people to ask, you should always be sharing, you know, roster and be like, you know, what would you have done different? And look at different two by twos. Like when I do a draft, I'm most of the time, unless I'm like in that zone where I'm just cranking out one after the next, I'm looking at the draft board. I'm analyzing who did what, why did they do that? And I'm looking at two by twos because, you know, a lot of drafts, if you're doing them a lot, you know, they're going to start to look familiar and you're going to, you know, be able to start building similar teams. But when you think of these two by twos and you analyze them, then you can, you know, change it up and see what you could have done better. And then you can start keep building better rosters. So always be, you know, trying to question what you're doing and obviously what others are doing. Cause you don't want to follow the herd. You want to zig when others zag. Smartly. I'll add. Absolutely. (laughs) Love it, dude. All right, man. It's been a great pleasure. Uh, We will reconvene here in the next couple of days and uh, take on the burning desire for everyone in the room, roster construction and best ball. So that'll be our next pod. Wait. (laughs) Yeah. That might be an hour and a half or we'll try and keep it short. Uh, But anyway, uh, it was a pleasure as always, man. Uh, We will catch you guys on the flip side also keep an eye out for uh the article that is going to be dropping in conjunction with this where i expand on some of the ideas that we talked about here all right guys we'll see you next time take it easy